Welcome back to the second hour of the show. If you want to have your say on anything you've heard on the show or saw over the weekend, you can on the temperate bedshed text line 0487 736 736 or call us on the open line 13 12 55. Over East, Dan Cherney's been keeping a close eye on things for Code Sports and uh, it was a big weekend over there. Dan, welcome to the show. How are you? Uh, good to be with you, Duff. All well, thank you. Very good. Very. Hey, mate, who do you barrack for? Who's your team? Oh, we try to keep it pretty low key, but no, I'm a St Kilda man. I thought you were, and you do hide it very well. You hide it a lot better than me. I wear my heart on my sleeve a bit when it comes to Freo, but um, you must be enjoying the season so far. Yeah, no, it's been pleasantly surprising from a St Kilda fan perspective, um, and just, I think probably from a pretty follower perspective. Uh, it's, it's always good to see some surprises and teams come from from uh, um, from the pack and, and and shoot ahead when you when you least expect it. And uh, certainly, I least expected it. Uh, you know, I think we have discussed in Kilda. You know, we were sort of having these chats, these weekly chats that it does allow you to track the um, the thought process around uh, what, what you expect teams to, to become. And I think you know, as we headed into round one, they had that game against Fremantle. I think both of us were, were pretty um, strong that. We didn't think St Kilda were going to be much chopped this year. Certainly, I wasn't. And um, they've, they've continued to shock. And, uh, and I think now it's sort of reached a point where it's no longer a shock. Uh, the fact that they went into yesterday's game against Carlton, um, you know, they got a couple back. Jack Steele and Tim Memory still without Max King, a few other sort of fringe players. Plus, um, and the Blues had a couple out the field, but not not absolutely pillaged by, by any stretch. Uh, and the Saints went in as you know, probably close enough to favourites, or at least a 50-50, and, and they got the job done. And it just looks like looks like such a sustainable way of playing footy. They, um, as Ross Lyon said, um, the transition game is just an incredibly good nick at the moment. Um, they're so hard to score against on turnover, and then they're scoring very well um, on turnover as well. And it's going to get better as, as the forward line uh, continues to evolve, and, and they get. You know, memory break, and he made a big difference. Only kicked one, but just looked much more dangerous. Um, I'd say than even than Anthony Kamenetti. And then when you get when you consider that Max King is going to the upgrade on Zane Cordy at some point this season, I mean the Saints, I think are a serious, certainly a serious top four threat. And I think it's not. You know, I think we could we we could probably start talking about St Kilda as huh, maybe in the Premiership mix. I mean, the, the way they're playing is really really good. Um, there are no dramatic weaknesses. I thought their, their back line looked a bit challenged yesterday uh, against Carlton with, with the tools, but they were, by the same token, they um, they held up in the end, only coughed up eight goals, uh, albeit Carlton's goal kicking was, was problematic. Uh, and the system is so strong that oh, I think it's going to withstand most challenges. So, you know, I don't think they deserve to be premiership favourites by any stretch, but I think they can certainly be considered sort of in the around the four, five, six sort of seed at the moment, um, probably just, just off the pace from the Melbourne, Melbourne Collingwood and maybe, I suppose, Geelong and, and Brisbane. But so I think they're, they're right around the mix in, in that next year. It's going to be fascinating to watch them evolve, Daniel, because what we know about Ross is that he is very authoritarian and gets results. He, he, can, he can knock a team into shape very quickly and then it's a matter of how that team evolves, I guess, over time. Every now and again... He prunes a little bit too much flair and natural footy out of them. And right now, you feel like the mix is right at St Kilda. One thing you've got to say about Ross Lyon, he understands 
how to change gears during a game, and he drills his players so that they're able to. And we saw that late in the game against Collingwood where they nearly pinched it when they just went full-on attack in the last 10 or 15 minutes when we thought they were done. And then, again, after they'd surged to the 21-point lead at three-quarter time, the way they shut the game down against Carlton in the last quarter and the Blues simply couldn't score. He has that capacity to drill his players to do that, doesn't he? Yeah, that, that's a really that's a really astute call, I think. And, and to notice those the ends of those respective games and, and given that the, clearly the Saints were in different positions in both, and, and handled both pretty well, where they didn't end up pinching the Collingwood game, but were very close to doing so. Uh, and I think... They're able to do that, and this is you know, this is one of the great challenges of coaching. Is uh, it, it's all it's very not it's easy enough. Or there's plenty of coaches I think that can come up with good game plans. But the best is to fit a game plan to suit your personnel. That that's where the, the absolute best coaches um, succeed. And I think I see a lot of I actually see quite a bit of um, Richmond in the St Kilda side. Richmond from the, the, the you know, you know, their premiership years, particularly in the sense of this this power of running that they have. I mean, they're runners, and we're seeing it in the transition game, and that, and then Ross is able to get them organised as well, but they're only able to be this organised on the back of just a group of outstanding running players who are playing in positions that's suitable. So we're talking high half forwards and, and wing wingers, and, and in particular, Bradley Hill, who, who Ross is again getting the best out of or close enough to the best out of, and I think he's still still probably got a bit of improvement yet to come. Dan Butler, who was outstanding in his first season at the Saints in 2020, but has probably plateaued since then or, or, or taken a couple of steps back. I think he's getting back towards his best. Jack Higgins has been really good. Um, they've got a great runner in the side. Wanganin Miller um, is emerging. And Mason Wood has probably been... There's one player who's epitomised and killed his unexpected rise this year. It's Mason Wood because... He's a guy who's who at 29, the listed free agent, um, really just been a bit of a, a list clogger till, until this point, or a player who had never really fulfilled his, his expectation potential, and, and he's playing outstanding footy and it would be well in the mix of the Australian team. So uh, it's you know it, it's, it's looking very good. Um, now again, it is only round six, and yes, they were they were eight and three last year and five and one under Brett Ratton. So um, and I spoke to Seb Ross in the rooms after the game last year, and he, he made a and point to note that that um, you know they were in a similar position last year, but this does this does look a bit more sustainable. And I think even just in terms of percentage, um, last year they were winning games in that first half of the year. They came back a few times to win games um, in the last quarter, and they were playing you know with bursts here and there. And, and it was, and they, but they were probably relying on some special performances from King um, or from Paddy Ryder to get them over the line. Whereas here it's it's a weight of numbers. Um, performance that's got them to the position they're in. But again, very early days. The flip side of it is Carlton. What did you make of them? And uh, and what did you make of... It was almost like they were just butting their head against a brick wall in that last quarter when they were trying to generate scoring opportunities and nothing was happening for them. Are you concerned about the Blues or do you think there was just a, a slightly off day and beaten by a team was on on the day? No, I am concerned about the Blues, and I'm less. I'm not con- not concerned in isolation because of yesterday. I'm concerned because of the body of work over the first six rounds of the season, and they're, they're three, two, and one. Uh, there's three wins, two losses, and a draw, and that feels about right with a percentage of sub 100. Uh, and they just are not. They just can't quite click into gear for an extended period, and I, I just I, I can't shake the feeling that this Carlton side remains less than the sum of its parts. Now, I, I, admittedly, without Adam Saad, who's a very important player for them, provides such important run, 
from defence. Um, Sam Doherty also missing, you know, all, you know, such a good ball user and, and general, uh, both both at halfback and then pushing into the midfield. So that, that, that they were key outs. But there was a lot of talent still on display for Carlton yesterday. And I just can't quite get my head around it, how a team with Harry Mackay and Charlie Curto um, has, has only scored 100 points twice in its last 18 games um, and was kept to just eight goals yesterday, again, albeit with some poor kicking and against a very good defensive side in St Kilda. Uh, my gut feeling here is that Carlton have overcompensated, um, probably on the back of allowing some, some opposition run-ons. And I think they felt they maybe weren't defensively resolute enough, certainly under David Teague and, then, and probably at times last year under Michael Voss. And I just wonder if they've taken a bit of the adventure and dare out of their game um, at the expense of, to, to try to become a bit more defensively sound. Um, but they do look... They do feel a bit boring, a bit dull, that they can't find other avenues to goal. And they had the top was it, six or seven ball winners on the ground yesterday um, and, and, and lost. And it just, uh, w- you know, these possessions, they've got such quality players there on paper, at least. Sam Walsh had close enough to 40 touches. Patrick Cruz was outstanding in the first half, in particular, before being quietened a bit by uh, Jack Steele in the second half. But I just don't think this Carlton side is getting the most out of itself. And I think increasingly there are going to be questions about Michael Voss's ability to, to get the best out of this Carlton side. We know, you know that the impatience there is just enormous for, because, um, well, for various reasons. A, because it's a proud, successful, historic club that hasn't made the finals in 10 years and hasn't won a flag in 28. Um, secondly, you know, there's so much talent, again, on paper when you consider um, you know, who they actually have on their list. And the amount of individual accolades that they all have, you know, Brownlee medals, Colin medals, you know, all Australian fullbacks, um, the list goes on. Uh, and um, and then obviously the heartbreaking way that, that last year ended with those narrow defeats in the final couple of rounds, particularly the one against Collingwood. So the pressure is on. They've got what should be a soft kill against West Coast this week in Perth, given we, we know how poorly the Eagles are going and, and, uh, and how ravaged they are on the injury front. Um, <laughs> but they're on a bit of a hiding to nothing, aren't they? Um, you, they, they don't win that. It's completely crisis. Um, even if they do, uh, they've still got a challenging four or five weeks ahead. Um, and I think the jury is very much out on Carlton at this point. Geelong's win against Sydney, not surprising that they won, but the way they won um, by 90-odd points has to be a, a big surprise. And are we a bit concerned about Sydney? I know they had some injury concerns going into this game, but... Um, uh, you know, a 90-point thumping is a 90-point thumping regardless. Yeah, it's, it's been so rare for Sydney. I think that's the thing that's so, so striking. Um, and admittedly, the Swans are probably playing a bit more of an up-tempo game of footy in the last two or three years, which probably leaves them a bit more susceptible to that sort of thumping. And Geelong are just, as, as, as they've shown um, in a half against Hawthorne, probably a quarter and a bit against West Coast. And then um, for, for most of Saturday night's game, they are just so good when, when they're on um, offensively and, you know, makes sense when you've got the likes of Jeremy Cameron and Tom Hawkins is finding some nick and, and, and then when um, when Paddy Dangerfield, et cetera, sort of are up and about, it's uh, it's still a formidable mix. And, and we saw that on, clearly in the finals last year and now three weeks in a row in 2023. So, so they're back on track. From a Swans perspective, yeah, an incredibly rare loss by that magnitude, they haven't lost by the last time they lost by a bigger margin was in 1998. I mean, it's, it's an incredible stat. Um, but you know, you probably do have to temper it a bit by the by the absences. I mean, particularly when you're so short in one area of the ground, 
being key backs, and then you and then you go up against Geelong, who have you know, have, you know probably the, the best two key forwards in the competition, um, and probably the best player in the league. I know you've been big on this, and Jeremy Cameron, and it's very hard to disagree. Um, but you know, still to be beat, so beaten up around the ball, um, it did again look like it was like grand final. It was boys against men, and you know because they lost that game to you know, they lost that game to Port. They, they were pretty ordinary for a period against Melbourne. So the three and three, and the best footy this year has been pretty good. I thought they were you know really um, strong against Richmond under man. Uh, you know they, they put Hawthorne to the sword in, in, in round two. I mean, albeit you'd expect them to have done so. So they've been okay, but um, at 3-3, three three, it is an early season crossroads for them. They've got the Giants this week in the Sydney, Sydney Derby. They've got to win that one. Um, they've just got to bank some of these wins against the sides that you expect them to beat. And you, know, very, you don't want to write any Sydney side off, and they'll get guys back, but it is, uh, it is a bit of a concern for them. Anzac Eve, Anzac Day. Is Anzac Eve almost as big as Anzac Day now? I don't quite think so. I, I, I think, uh, I don't know how many they'll get tonight at the MCG, probably 70,000 or so. Um, doesn't help that Richmond are not going particularly well at the moment. Melbourne are going okay without without shooting the lights out. Um, you know, I think there's that extra magical element of, of sport at night. Uh, and... Um, uh, and particularly um, when, when, the, when the lights get dimmed and, and you see all the, 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 the phones shining and, and it is very moving. I mean, they're all moving scenes across the weekend um, with, with the various Anzac commemorations. But I think the, the you know the original Collingwood S. Well, I say original, but it's not really the original because they were playing Anzac Day footy for a long time before that. But the, the original sort of marquee Collingwood Essendon game um, still holds more, the most gravitas, um, just because it's it, it's. You know, been around for almost 30 years now, uh, and going really well. Um, both four and one, both in the top four. Uh, Essendon surprising everyone uh, with their start of the season, uh, albeit with a bit of a soft draw. And Collingwood um, you know, firing and, and clearly in the premiership mix. So, uh, I think it still holds um, holds that, that whole position. But you know, they're both magnificent occasions, and I think the fact that you're going to get close enough to 160,000 people to the MCG inside the space of 24 hours, you know, speaks volumes to the, to the power that of the occasion and, and that these big clubs and football continues to hold in, in Melbourne. Yeah, it's going to be fun. There's no more poignant moment in Australian sport, I think, than the minute silence at the MCG on Anzac Day. It, uh, it says more about being Australian uh, than almost anything else we do through the course of the year. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us and giving your insights on the show. Look forward to hearing you again next week. No worries, Duff. Good on you. Daniel Cherney from Code Sports, of course, giving his take on the weekend and the upcoming Anzac Eve and uh, Anzac Day matches coming up over the next 24 hours or so. We'll take a break and we'll be back with more of the show after the break. We'll get into some of your text messages. And if you want to send us a late one, it's on the Temperate Bedshed text line, 0487 736 736. Or you can call us on the open line, 13 12 55. This is Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA.